The Professional Standard Statement Section 2-1.4 states that your practice is shaped or structured according to recognized theories, frameworks, and concepts of occupational therapy. Hello, welcome, and kumusta? My name is How. I am your occupational therapist. In this episode, we will be talking about model of practice for occupational therapy. Now, as a clinician myself, and over the years, some of the experience that I've had when I have some interaction with students and some clinicians is that there is always a search for a model of practice. That is always the number one question. Now, this model of practice that I would like to share with you is a model of practice that I actually just stumbled upon when I was working in a neuro-oncology facility at one point in my career. And this model of practice is called Ecology of Human Performance. And this was conceptualized by Dunn, McLean, Youngstrom, and Brown in 1994. So it's called Ecology of Human Performance. So the question is, uh, this first part, let me ask you again whether you agree or disagree so agree or disagree, uh, our intervention is dictated by our place of work. Agree, isn't it? Yes, the place of work where we are working dictates what we do. As I said earlier on in some of the previous podcasts, if you are working in an acute hospital, then you are guided by what needs to be done in acute hospital. If you are working in the community, which is tertiary care, you needed to be doing the things that needed to be done in a tertiary care facility. So another question is, whether you agree or disagree, that our intervention is affected by the person's age. Yes, agree. Yes, of course. The age will have a factor in the type of intervention that we provide. Then again, if I would like to uh, ask you to refer back to some of the previous podcasts, some of the intervention would be restorative, alter intervention, supportive intervention, modify intervention, and preventative intervention. So it is affected uh, by our type of intervention. What we choose is influenced by the person's age. So, for example, a person's age is, say, he, the person is 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 in the in their 90s then you know you might opt to some some of the restorative interventions will be a little bit challenging okay another question is this our intervention is affected by how sick or how ill the person is yes the answer is yes you know that's how sick or how ill the person is will affect our type of intervention and the uh, last question is, our input is, whether you agree or disagree, uh, our input is affected by the social situation of our patients. Agree or disagree, guys? 
agree. Yes, social situation will have a big influence on the type of interventions that we do. So just a uh, brief story about how I stumbled across these ecology of human performance. As I said earlier on, I was working in a neuro-oncology facility and here is this guy, he was elderly, he was living with his wife and they're in their 80s, you know, leading to their 90s and then the guy happened to have some sort of a uh, terminal or end-stage cancer and me working as an occupational therapist in the rehab facility of always I have always been doing some rehabilitation but then when I worked with this guy the, everything that I did was uh, against or it doesn't fit a rehabilitation model and so I was thinking what was this and, and the intervention that I had was I got the guy home I went to ask for carers I got some uh, uh, some hoist for the person as well and uh, we got some other adaptive aids like a commode and some pressure relieving cushion and things like that uh, but none of the things that I did was actually a rehabilitation it doesn't fit on the rehabilitation model it doesn't fit on the neuro-oncology or it doesn't fit on uh, um, NDTs and Bobaths, none of those. And, and it made me question. So like I said, I stumbled upon this and it is called Ecology of Human Performance. So what is Ecology of Human Performance? So technically, when you talk about Ecology of Human Performance, it talks about ecology or the interaction between the person and the context. What it says is that the interaction between the person and the context affects human behavior and their task performance. And that the task performance depends on the person's interaction with the context. So what does this mean? At any given point of time when there are things to be done, the person always transacts with this task. It's like a tug of war. And every time that the person is transacting with the task, yeah, every time he's doing this, there is an influence of context. And it's the context that will dictate whether it will be successful or not. So what do we mean by this? What are the context? The context that has main influence in the situation. For clinicians, we always think that context is the home environment. It is the, the, the physical environment. Yes, that's true. That's one of the contexts. But one of the things that we are forgetting is the context of age, the temporal context, it's called. So these temporal contexts, one of them is age. And you can have two types of age, really. You know, you can have the, the chronological age, 
and you can also have the developmental age. And this age will have an influence on whether the person will be successful in doing tasks that they needed to do. So, for example, a person with a chronological age of 45, but their developmental age is that of 2, with regard to the task of toilet hygiene, do you anticipate that this guy will be independent with their toilet hygiene? So no, isn't it? Because the developmental age is not there. The, ch the person has not reached that developmental milestone of being independent with their toilet hygiene. So another example with regard to age is, uh, for example, somebody who is in their 80s, yeah, would you expect them to be able to run as fast as somebody who is at the age of 20? You know, probably not. Now, not being ageist here, you know, I'm sure there are people who are 8 years old that are quite good. But in general, the age will definitely have an impact. Yeah? Okay. So, age is one that will have an effect on a person's day-to-day -day engagement. The other context that a person interacts with or that has an influence is the context of the disability status. Okay. So the disability status has an influence on whether a person can or cannot do, whether a person can or will not be or will not be or will be or will not be able to do the things that they're doing. So for example, what's this disability status? Say somebody who has had a stroke and was had a tax, total anterior circulatory stroke tax. Is very bad, dense problem, you know, that there is a, you know, you know, receptive expressive dysphagia, you have severe motor impairment, you have severe cognitive impairment, doesn't have postural control. So the disability status is bad. And if it's bad and the person, it's, it's not reversible, this person's ability to do the personal care is really going to be very challenging. So, this person being independent with dressing is quite slim. You know? And if they cannot sit down, they cannot feel their need to use the toilet, then their toilet hygiene would be highly impaired as well. So your intervention then will no longer be a restorative intervention. It will then become supportive intervention. So the disability status has a factor. Say, for example, somebody has had a spinal cord injury from C5, so they can only do like elbow flexion. That's the only thing they can do. 
So it becomes very challenging for this person to do a lot of things. So transfers will be difficult for somebody with a C5 total cord uh, transaction of the spinal cord. Yeah. So independent transfers would be very, very challenging for this guy. But can you get the person to eat? Yes, that's expected, you know, for a C5. You can do that. You can do that. Yeah. Okay. So that's the disability status. What about those people who has had a terminal condition? So they have a situation where it is quite terminal and, uh, you know, say they've had very bad cancer and it's very much deteriorating. Will you still do washing and dressing practice and training with the person? You know, if they're not feeling up to it because they're not feeling well. So I wouldn't think so, isn't it? So what about those people, for example, who is just say two days after heart operation and they are still they still have a um, drains, yeah? Would you do the showering practice and showering retraining with this guy or this person or this woman? Probably not because, again, the disability status and where the person is at the stage of the, the illness and the condition, it has an effect on their abilities, Okay. So the other one as well, in terms of context, is the home environment. So that's very popular. So we know that, you know, the home environment will be very much, uh, will be uh, affecting a person's ability. Um, say you have trained the person to get out of bed towards the left side and they're independent. When you go at home, you know, the left side of the bed is stuck to the wall. So they have to get out of the right side of the wall. Uh, excuse me, right side of the bed, which was what's opposite of the training that you've done. So the chances for them to be independent, again, is quite slim because the environment was just, just different, isn't it? So another context is the social context. So the social expectations. So that, is, that has an influence on your intervention. For example, some of the people, um, say, Asian in, in, uh, by background. So sometimes when not generalizing again, again, excuse me, I'm not trying to generalize. Sometimes when they are ill, uh, they need to just be, from my experience, sometimes they, when they're in the hospital, they, they, they stay in the hospital. They don't like to get up and do something. Uh, because they feel that being in the hospital is makes them, uh, you know, they need to have a rest. And you want to do dressing practice, sometimes they don't do that because they have family members who are on standby to help them with personal care. So the social environment will have an effect or an effect on the person's uh, rehabilitation. 
So another part where the the social expectation uh, has an influence would be, um, say for example, um, the person is is on their own, you know, and 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 they cannot do their own shopping because they don't have any family. So that would influence your intervention and the kind of support that you would provide to the patient. Okay. So what about those people who are who could be at home but they needed somebody with them? So there's two different cases, for example, you know, one who has somebody living with them and needed minimum help. So they probably can go home if they have a family member as opposed to somebody who requires the same amount of help, but they cannot go home and they will need social support because they do not have any family members. So social situation and the cultural standards are also an influence on a person's ability to do the day-to-day tasks. And that also includes the cultural standards uh, including the geopolitical status or the geopolitical standards on expect and expectations. So, for example, a person is in the hospital. It's a district general hospital, so this is secondary care. And the person is medically optimized. Yeah, they can go to the toilet, they can engage in their toilet hygiene, and they can call for help. Okay, so medically optimized, safe enough, okay. As therapists, if you want to do the therapy and they're not yet doing their showering, for example, or they're not yet preparing the meal safely, you know, you may want to do this, but sometimes you'll have to make a decision that you need to get the person out as soon and as safe as possible because the hospital is demanding that the person be sent home because they needed the bed so again the hospital the workplace where you're working has an influence on the case so really in every task the person has to transact with age their disability status or their medical status and also to the demands of the environment and the facility Okay, it's almost like the person has no choice. We can have a choice, but we can only do the things that we can do if the context is allowing us to do it. So it's quite straightforward, isn't it? It's quite simple. So now moving on, let's talk about how does it affect assessment then. So when, when you're assessing using this model, it's always helpful to start when you speak to the person. It's always helpful to know, know the person and look at how big the context or the area of performance, you know, the playground, how big is it? What's the, how big is the influence of the person in terms of the environment? So you can start asking them when you see them for the first time, ask them, what are their roles? What are their responsibilities? What's their home setup like? You know, start with the big things. You know, do you live alone? Yes, I live alone. Good, they'd answer that. Is it a house or a bungalow? 
And then they'd say, yo, it's a house. So if you live alone, who does your shopping? You can ask them that. And then if they say, well, I drive a car. I do it myself. Oh. So that would be, these are markers for you to say. It's like, oh, there here's somebody who's driving prior to being in the hospital, living alone. It means that prior to coming into the hospital, there there is a bigger, you know, their, their influence on the environment is so much bigger. Okay, but if they cannot do that, then you come down again. Then you can start asking. So if you're living alone and somebody's doing the shopping for you, you ask them that. So you do your own personal care. Are you a shower person or a bath person? You can ask them that. And then they might say, well, I just have a strip wash. Uh-huh. So again, it's an influence. It's, it's an indication that this person's physical ability is actually getting narrowed because either they can't do it because they're at risk of falls or perhaps they are frail, maybe due to the condition that they have a bad arthritis. And if that's all right with them, then that's their baseline, isn't it? So you do that. So the assessment from this model is coming, just try assessing from the bigger, look at the bigger perspective first, their influence, you know, on how they move around the community and go and assess their home environment, and then go and assess their ADL abilities and some of the specifics. From my experience, it's always helpful to know whether they are a bath person or a shower person, okay? And if they are a bath person, you know, do they get into the bath or they only step into the bath to have a shower? Because that is a highly skilled, It's there's a high demand for balance and then for postural control. And then ask if they have some social support uh, and who's who's doing some of the tasks at home. Yeah. And after that, once you know the bigger picture of, of their abilities, then you can start assessing their, you know, the, the, the physical capabilities. Yeah. So you can assess their physical, you can have a physical assessment on which case, you know, there will be an assessment of performance components. You can start with the cognition. You can do with functional communication, physical assessment. Yeah. And that comes um, afterwards. So it's all, so the assessment is always a top-down assessment. Yeah. Because when you know that the, there is a problem with the impairment, you know, with a physical ability, say postural control, the endurance is impaired, pain is there, then you know then that those are the reasons why they cannot engage on their performance areas of personal care, for example. So when we're talking about the types of intervention for these model. Um, just remember, for this model, the type of intervention, it starts when, uh, um, when there is a collaboration between the patient, the family, and the person. Yeah. Once there is a collaboration and you already know what needs to be done, then already the intervention is taking place. Okay. So the intervention is dependent on the time frame that you're allowed to work with the patient. Yeah. So if you're in the hospital, your time frame is almost the time frame when the person would be medically optimized. 
if you're working in a uh, tertiary care inpatient facility, sometimes the time frame, they have a time frame of up to six weeks. So you'd be influenced by that. Uh, if you're working in the community and you're working on a pediatric case, so sometimes the case is in your caseload all the way from when they're ch a child all the way until they finish the service. Of, I think it's either 16 or 18 years old. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the time frame. If you're in a reablement care, so you have a time frame of maybe up to six weeks, the same for early supportive, uh, supported stroke, uh, early supported discharge service for stroke, like the ESDs. Okay. So every service, there is always a, a, a terminal, uh, there's like a, a, a time frame where interventions and service should be terminated. Okay, so that's the intervention. And there are five types of intervention. And I believe in this intervention, I have mentioned it to you uh, in uh, my previous podcast. And the types of intervention would fall on the category of restorative intervention, alter intervention, modify intervention, preventative intervention, or supportive, create, and promote interventions. So RAMPs, they are the ones that fall on these categories. So it is this model that dictates or that actually uh, uh, that tells the type of intervention uh, that the person can have. Okay, so this is what's nice about it. Really, it's really straightforward. So in summary, really, ecology of human performance is saying that technically we are not really free. And this is now quite philosophical, isn't it? It only saying that you can only do the things that you can do depending on whether the context is allowing you to do it. Yeah. So if you're in critical care, for example, washing and dressing, you know, you can't do it. You know, you're not allowed to do it because you're connected to lots of things, you know. So that's the, you know, that's a situation. That's a context. You know, the limits of the attachments, that's one. Another thing is your body is still doing its job of healing itself while you're in critical care. So, you know, you want to let these organs do its job of maintaining and obtaining the balance with one another. So, again, it's, it's the, the condition is very acute. So you cannot yet do the washing and dressing. Yeah. Um, so that's some... Now, on, on this next section, I'd like to go and have some kind of a, an exercise with you guys. So... I'm going to state an intervention, a type of intervention, and then you need, and we're going to tell, you know, we're going to identify whether or what kind of intervention it is. Yeah? Are you ready? All right, here we go. So, an upper limb sensory retraining, you're doing upper limb sensory retraining to restore the feeling of the hand. So, what kind of intervention if that is that? So that is a restorative intervention. Yeah, that's good. Correct. That's restorative intervention. 
and what kind of restorative intervention that'll be for future podcasts so you can have sensory re-education you can do neurological techniques uh, neuro techniques on that one so again that is a restorative intervention what about when you do dressing training so that the person will be able to dress in a normal way ramps which one would it be yeah it is restore yeah so that's correct it is a restorative intervention it just means that the person cannot put on their clothes and they needed help perhaps but you wanted to do the practice because they wanted them to learn in a normal way the ADL retraining the dressing training is a straightforward restorative intervention now what about this teaching a person to push up from the chair when standing up. So most of the time, this is for elderly people, isn't it? And I have noticed this type of intervention uh, a lot. And, and sometimes people have developed this script that when you're asking a person to stand up, you know, just push up from the chair. Why is that? Okay, so what kind of intervention is that? Is that restore, alter, modify, prevent, or support? Of the five, that would be a modify intervention so why is that a modify intervention because you're asking the person to push up because the legs are weak so you're supplementing the weak legs with the strength of the arms so that becomes a modify intervention okay so that's the one thing now another question or another intervention that you need to identify is this so You've given a perching stool when washing. So you've, your treatment is you have provided a perching stool. Uh, so with that, restore, alter, modify, prevent, and support. So that depends. The answer depends on your intention, isn't it? So that was uh, left a little bit vague. So if you're using the perching stool when washing so that the person will be safe to wash and they don't fall off, yeah, then that intervention becomes a preventative intervention. But if your reasoning is you provide a perching stool because you want the person to be able to wash with ease, that becomes a modified intervention. So another one is this, using a Mowbray frame to facilitate ease of toilet transfers. So the reason is there, to facilitate ease with toilet transfers, and you use an adaptive aid. So this is now a modify intervention. That's right. Now, when you recommend that the patient can go into a nursing home, so what does that mean? What type of intervention? So imagine that an occupational therapist and your prescription is you say after all of your intervention, say this person is not going to be safe at home. This person needed to be cared for at home. What kind of intervention is that? That would be a an alter intervention. You know, from the definition of the ecology of human performance, alter intervention would be the answer. And that's because you are now altering the entire, you know, you're changing the context altogether. You're moving the person from one place to another. You can't do anything about the person, you know. 
you can you, it's it's an alter intervention so when you are practicing walking to improve walking that would be a restore intervention because you want to practice to improve walking now if you're practicing walking but your reasoning is to prevent deconditioning then your intervention becomes preventative intervention right now when you recommend carers to assist with morning washing and dressing that type of intervention would be a supportive intervention very good you guys are doing well now if a patient is uh, referring a patient to a reablement service so that act of referral is actually a supportive intervention yes because you're enhancing you know the situation you know you're providing aspects that would improve that would allow the person to improve even more so that is a re, uh, supportive intervention so when you refer the patient to a rehab facility so the act of referral it means you're creating opportunities circumstances so this now becomes a supportive intervention right providing information about pendant alarm to the family okay so you have given so it's almost an education isn't it so if we explore this what kind of intervention is this is this a restorative intervention is it alter modify prevent and support you know so you can argue it just depends on your reasoning isn't it so if you say you provide that information about pendant alarm if I ask you, why did you provide that? Well, because they don't know. And now they want to know. So that looks like a restorative reason, isn't it? But if you provide that pendant alarm uh, because the family has concerns and you want to optimize and create that situation of support, then that could be a supportive inter intervention. But if you provide that uh, pendant alarm because you want to prevent incidents from happening, then that would have been a preventative intervention. So everything really falls down on your clinical reasoning. Okay, So a recommending that the patient has downstairs uh, living, this would have been a, an alter intervention. So downstairs living. Uh, another one is say you issued a commode to minimize the risk of falls at night. Yeah. That would have been preventative intervention because you want to minimize the risk of falling. The other one is practicing dressing until the patient becomes independent before discharging them home. This would have been a restorative intervention. That's correct. Wonderful. And then if you are using the hoist to ease the carer's stress, you know, going back to my, um, the, uh, my patient who had a cancer, so to ease the carers, to assist the carer, to ease carer stress, that would be the hoist would have been a supportive intervention because it is to ease the carer's stress. What about to enable the patient to transfer to the chair? That's with an adaptive aids. So that becomes a modify intervention. And then what if, but if your reason is to prevent the chances of falls? Okay. So... If you want to prevent the chances, uh, 
to prevent the chances of falls than that would have been a preventative intervention. Right, okay, so um, really, so some of the um, uh, wisdom that we are learning from, from this is that really at the end of the day, we are not really in charge, okay? And that the assessment should start from the top to bottom, and that's again the top-down approach. Then just remember that occupation is always the focus of occupational therapy. Another point of wisdom is that an action may take many forms of intervention depending on the problem that you are trying to resolve. And the last point of wisdom, and this is what I've been saying all along, you know, that everything you do matters and will have an outcome, isn't it? There's just no escaping it. There will always be an outcome. Whether you are restoring it, you are modifying things, you are altering things, you are preventing things, and you are supporting things, any action that you do as an occupational therapist will have an outcome. So that's wonderful, guys. Thank you so much for um, listening to this episode. If you have learned anything from this at all, talk to some of your friends, share this, um, discuss the model uh, with your friends, and try it on some of the problems uh, or the cases that you see in the hospital. And uh, share uh, this podcast as well. So it'll be on various platforms that is available out there. Uh, thanks to those who have subscribed to listening. And uh, I'm very, very pleased that I've reached a good number of people now. And we have listeners from all over, you know, from, from Belgium. There are some from France. So thanks, guys. Uh, and the United Kingdom in the States as well. So really, I am very, very, very grateful. Okay, guys, just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, bye.